Hello and welcome to 40 Guard Live. I'm Derek Menke and joining me is Amar Lakani. How you doing, Amar? Living the dream as always, Derek. Living the dream. Yeah. That's always it's always great to talk uh, to you and uh, there, there's so many things we always talk about offline and online, of course, but there's, um, you know, one of those subjects uh, that comes up when we're talking about threat intelligence and forums and all those things we're looking at and, and the things that we highlight in our threat landscape report is the concept of high resolution threat intelligence. So I want to pause there for a second and just digest that, let, let the listeners digest that. When I try to explain this, I, I like to use the analogy, right, of uh, those old school dot matrix printers, right, when you had the, the brr, brr, print printouts with all the dots on them, and you could, it was kind of fuzzy. You got the idea, but you didn't know too much too much about it, right, until, until of course, printers got better resolution. You can see more detail in that. And when I think about threat intelligence, that journey has sort of been this, similar, right? I mean, it started off with high-level IOCs and some basic details. We know there's a particular malware variant that's circulating or, you know, an attack on the CVE. But really, when you get into the breadth of threat intelligence, modern threat intelligence nowadays, there's a lot more to it, right? Well, well, first of all, Derek, you just gave me a flashback of like a plane, like we're in the world as Carmen San Diego and 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 uh, Oregon Trail, and like we're watching my dot matrix printer like print out very slowly. <laughs> but but I think you're absolutely right when you talk about high resolution threat intelligence. Uh, you know, you know, we we've had data for a long time, and we've had an idea of what this data is telling us, especially as we gather that. But I think what we're talking about when the high resolution threat intelligence is getting that. Uh, data quickly, getting it more accurately, and getting a bigger picture around the telemetry of that data. What 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 is that data really affecting, and how does it affect you know the the things around that, the business around that data? Yeah, and and context is is um, very important here, right? Because we talk about how like just flat flat level threat intelligence feeds are not really too useful. There's millions of them out there now, right? If, if I just gave you a list of 5 million malware hashes, so what? Okay, that's today, it's gonna change tomorrow, right? Um, but, and if you look at even um, threat intelligence sharing, which we do a lot of, um, you know, Cyber Threat Alliance is part of that, right? We're on Sticks version two, as an example with that. That's a full blown platform, uh, Project Magellan, where we're actually doing uh, contextual information showing kill chain information, all of that with it, right? Uh, so so that's that's one example of the evolution of this high resolution intelligence. But then there's also product support too, right? How we can actually get reporting and telemetry back. We have millions of sensors deployed with 40 guard labs where we're actually getting that context coming back in too. So it's 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 a bit of how the industry has developed this over time too. Yeah, absolutely. I have customers pretty often tell me, "Hey, we're collecting a lot of uh, we're collecting a lot of threat intelligence. We know about hundreds of malware hashes that are coming in." And I normally ask them, "I go, well, what does that do for you? Like, do you know the techniques that the malware is using? Uh, can you translate that into like uh, the MITRE MITRE framework? And do you understand like you know what are your gaps and your stopping measures on the MITRE framework with the products that you're using?" And a lot of times I just get people like staring at me like I've lost my mind when I've said that. But that's really what I'm talking about when I talk about high high resolution threat intelligence is you have that context around your data and you understand, you know, what, what your stop gaps are with that context. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So, um, of course, we're very familiar with, with, with MITRE. We, we're uh, a research partner with the Center for Threat Informed Defense with MITRE Ingenuity. We're um, helping actually co to contribute and further develop things like the uh, attack, attack matrix and the sightings ecosystem and attack flow is another project as well, too. 
there's a lot going on there. But uh, what we highlighted, I know we already talked about this on a threat landscape report in one of uh, previous videos, uh, but I wanted to just zoom in on that <laughs> in the spirit of uh, high resolution intelligence and talk about what, what we're seeing, right? So MITRE attack is a great example. There's 12 versions now. It continues to evolve. Why does it evolve? Because there's more techniques, right, that uh, attackers are um, basically implementing in their attack toolkit, right? Um, and they're not abandoning old ones, right? They're adding new new tricks up their sleeves, essentially, new um, techniques and even sub-techniques to be able to try to get around things like security controls and all, all the, you know, um, different tactics that's highlighted in, in the attack framework. Um, Let's talk through a couple of those. So one, um, you know, there's there is many of these listed in the report. Um, and what's interesting is uh, one of the figures in the report, we actually show a sort of heat map. And what's interesting is that it's not just one dominating or two or three, right? It's actually a, a pretty even spread with all these techniques being uh, employed. Case in point, you know, showing that uh, attackers are actually um, putting more than one trick up their sleeve. Um, and some of these things are, are pretty interesting, right? Like process hollowing was one of the, the more uh, you know, prominent techniques. You want to talk through, I, I know that you're regularly teaching uh, um, you know, about malware reverse engineering and analysis, and I know you look at this stuff all day. So um, what's up with process hollowing? So Derek, as, as you mentioned, attackers are using multiple techniques, multiple sub-techniques, and multiple strategies on how to how to execute those techniques. So process hollowing is, is I think a pretty pretty fun one. It's actually pretty interesting. It's when you take uh, when you take code when you take legitimate code that's usually being run. So it's already being cleared by security software in many cases, but you're replacing the code within that shell with malicious code. So basically, you're taking something that's or even cleared a legitimate code that's supposed to be running, that's normally being whitelisted and a lot, a lot of times maybe whitelisted or already ready to run and you're replacing the code with malicious code. So that's process hollowing. Also very, very difficult to catch because you're looking for essentially processes that are already whitelisted or processes that you expect the system to run. You just don't know or you may not be aware that the actual execution of the processes is doing something malicious behind the scenes. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's um, if, if you think to the old school analogies and definition of a Trojan horse again, too, right? It's like not inspecting what's coming inside of that payload, just trusting it inherently. Uh, but again, this is in high resolution, looking at to a process level. We're not talking about just uh, you know an executable file or something, right down to a process level, uh, especially when things are fileless and not touching the disk, as an, as an example. Um, and yeah, and I, it, what's interesting, what you see up on, on screen here from the report is uh, it's not, we actually showed a geo region breakdown and it's not just, again, an isolated thing where one or two pieces of malware campaigns are running. This is across the boards, worldwide, global, that we're seeing. Um, another interesting one, and again, this has been around for a long time, is uh, API hooking. Uh, so we look at this, um, you know, through, uh, through uh, endpoint security, of course, um, you know, Malware is trying to get around operating system controls, essentially, and, and process level stuff too, right? Yeah, you know, in today's world, and especially in the cloud world, you're going to be using APIs, APIs for automation. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not really, we're kind of past the point where everyone's doing things by hand, by command line, especially when you're talking about global environments, especially when you're talking about managing like hundreds of different endpoints, hundreds of different connections. 
there, there's no way to do it. And there's no way to do it without automation. And API hooking is essentially you're, you're attaching, an attacker is attaching to that API process or they're taking advantage that the API already has access to uh, certain aspects of the operating system or to the cloud environment or to whatever system that you're attacking. And they're pretty much piggybacking on top of that. So they're just riding that connection, riding that wave in, you know, sitting as a passenger in that front seat of the car, uh, but a malicious actor instead of being uh, someone good. And it's a very, very effective process because a lot of people, once they set up APIs, they pretty much set them up and forget about them. And they're not actively monitoring uh, exactly the execution that they're doing. Yeah, a good example of that, or just just to to give an example anyway, is uh, something like writing writing a, a file to the disk, right? That's something that the operating system does. A, a legitimate application would have to say, "Hey, I'm going to call this API and write uh, this this picture that somebody just did in a Paints program to disk," right? That seems perfectly legitimate. What an illegitimate process would do would be to hook that API saying, hey, the operating system is trusting this because it's going to write this file to disk. Um, you know, while, while the program goes to do its legitimate activity, I'm actually going to intercept that because that's what it's doing and do something malicious effectively, right? So it's... Uh, Exactly. And that's a very simple example. Attackers are getting very, very creative and having a lot more complicated functions, you know, such as reading a log and making a behavior based on logs. And that behavior could, you know, inadvertently uh, execute a file like in memory that's never on disk. So it could be fileless malware. So they can get very, very sophisticated and complicated with these types of attacks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, disabling security tools. This was another popular one that we uh, highlighted. Um, and you know we we talked about uh, defense evasion being the number one tactic so it's no surprise again that attackers are trying to uh, disable anything that's going to be a pain in their neck uh, but what, what are you seeing out there with various forms that they're uh, ways that they're doing this you know it's funny and if you ever take cybersecurity training and you do anything like pen test training one of the first things you do when you're testing your own system when you're first starting off is you're disabling security tools, you're disabling things like Microsoft Defender and Windows Update because you want to learn how the attacks work. Well, attackers have kind of found this out too. They're like, hey, you know what? If I have admin access to the box, I'm just going to go ahead and disable the security tools or maybe throw them off a little bit and maybe not let them update so they can't catch my attack. It gives me much more life you know, for the life cycle of the attack. And a lot of people won't notice that. I would say a lot of attacks, Every it seems like almost every attack, if the attacker has that knowledge, they're going to attempt that. They're going to attempt to disable security tools, disable logging as well, and maybe even clear out the logs, try and hide their track. It just makes incident response much, much more difficult. And it makes uh, basically recovering from that attack much more difficult. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, and um, you know, sort of the, the lesson we want to take out from this and what, what we, again, showed in the report in more detail is that it's not just about that. There is actually sub-techniques uh, in here as well, too, and that's that's super high resolution, which we will get into, not in this conversation, because that's a lot of data, of course, um, but, you know, it's going to be more of these, more flavors, and that's why it's really important, actually, that, that we follow this. Again, Old, older uh, threat intelligence, like just looking at malware hashes or certain IOCs is very fundamental nowadays, but basic at the same time, right? So to me, I think this is actually crucial moving forward to be able to look at this, you know, in real time. And more importantly, as a takeaway, being able to actually uh, detect and protect against this, right? So you, you have to keep in mind that this is behavior, right? If you just looked at, uh, you know, um, 
if you're just going after a malware hash again, right? Trying to block that on the system. Well, hey, if that malware is already using process hollowing and it's living in another shell, like you said, um, you know, a signature-based approach is not going to be effective there, right? Being able to have behavioral detection, being able to cover at, at endpoint and sandbox, right? Uh, uh, all these techniques that we're talking about um, is pretty critical, especially when they're actually targeting the in inspection process itself, right? Trying to disable those security tools. Yeah, absolutely. You make a, you brought up a good point. So we discussed some of these uh, techniques, but I think the idea is like, okay, now that you know about the techniques, you know you have to have more than just signatures, as you said. You know, how do you actually detect them? How do you detect if they're active in your own organization? And if even if you can detect them, how do you how do you train your systems to stop these techniques or these sub techniques? How do you actually go and audit your systems to see if these techniques were being used, or even go back in a in an answered response environment or uh, you know engagement to determine if that's what an attacker has done. That's where it, we really have to start bringing things together. And that's how organizations need to kind of evolve themselves into thinking as well, I think. Yeah, and I think it especially becomes critical in the world of uh, ransomware, right? Or not just ransomware, wipers, the, those you know elevated high risk uh, payloads, because again, being able to detect on any one of these techniques is quite suspicious if something's doing process hollowing, right? If something is, is hooking APIs, as an example. Those are big red flags, right? And being able to detect those early on can 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 save millions of dollars in damages if you're under a ransom attack, as an example, right? Yeah, so, um, really. yeah, I think it becomes more, yeah, much more critical in in today's modern environment for sure. Um, and it's not just about those three, of course. There's a lot more that we list in here, uh, such as process injection um, and uh, you know file deletion, time stomping, all of these, right? There's, the point is, there's going to be more of these, and being able to support uh, to be able to uh, detect and protect. Um, you know, the good thing is, uh, well, how we do this, of course, we follow the MITRE ATT&CK framework with tactics and techniques. We have product support where we're actually not only able to um, detect these, but actually report uh, information back to um, a, a, about a, you know, um, a, attack activity that's happening, which is, um, which is where this uh, high resolution threat intelligence is, is coming from as well. Yeah. You, you hit this straight on, man. Spot on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's it's really important uh, to I, I think uh, as we move forward, we're going to continue to look at new versions of the attack framework, new techniques. Expect those techniques to come out. Uh, certainly uh, support those. Uh, Mara, really want to um, thank you for your time again. Uh, it's always great talking to you. Uh, it's always great being here talking about cybersecurity. Uh, well, I can't wait to see what we attack next. Yeah, so absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's pen testing, right? Pen testing, exactly. Yeah. Red all team. right. Thanks, Amar. Uh, and for all the viewers out there, uh, you can check out our threat research category on our blog at blog.fortinet.com for all the latest and greatest as we continue to follow all the trends and movements on the threat landscape. Thanks once again. This is Derek Menke with FortiGuard Live signing off.